This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder, an award-winning veterinary teacher who's going to share with us insights and tips on how you can find your best veterinary career. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And nothing, I mean nothing, is tougher than veterinary school. Yes, I said it, veterinary technician Becky. Veterinary school was one of the most challenging periods of my life. I learned so much about myself and my profession, and it set me on a course for success later, but it was tough. And today we have got an award-winning, in fact, we've got this year's student American Veterinary Medical Association Teacher of the Year Award, Teaching Excellence Award winner, Dr. Kristen Messenger, all the way from North Carolina State University. And she is going to share with us her tips and tricks and sort of what she views as some of those successful tenants that she wants to share with our profession. But before we get into Dr. Messenger's story, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, if you're not familiar with Dr. Kristen Messenger, I'm going to tell you two things about her. Number one, she is 100% North Carolina State University Wolfpack. This young lady went to undergrad at NCSU. She then went to veterinary school at NCSU. She did her residency. I mean, Dr. Messenger, do you not bleed red and black? I do indeed, Dr. Ward. (laughs) (laughs) Which are two great colors, right? Because I went to University of Georgia, so... Go dogs. <laughs> Go dogs. <laughs> but not only is she an NCSU through and through person, she also is the host or co-host of a popular student podcast called Passing Gas, which we'll get into later. But what you don't know, Kristen, is I'm a big fan of yours because you are very good friends and colleagues with a good friend of mine, Mark Papich, and you guys did some work on detomidine gel that still is very, very important and we haven't quite grasped the, all the benefits of detomidine gel yet for dogs, but I'm a fan. Well, that is such a surprise, and I'm so glad that you waited uh, until we're on air to tell me that information. <laughs> um, That's how we roll here. You know, we just spring it on you. But yes. no, the detomidine stuff is really important. Obviously, for those of you not familiar, this is uh, dormicidin gel. Uh, you have a background in equine, which is, I'm guessing, how you kind of got to that place. Uh, and, and the anxiolytic properties, of course, are, are, are unquestioned. But, but, you know, that's a really interesting story, and I think there's a lot more to it. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm so glad that you asked about it. And actually, I just wanted to say thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show today. I'm really excited to talk to both of you. Uh, not only about veterinary education, but now that we're getting into some of my research interests, <laughs> right. it's even more exciting. Um, so, yes, the Dormosidan gel or Detomidine gel is a pretty exciting product, and we've done quite a bit of work on it in our laboratory. And as you also know, there's another product available now for dogs called Cilio, Cilio gel, okay. which is um, dexmedetomidine gel. And we're also doing some exciting work with that product. Yeah, yes, yeah. so it's it's really the real deal. And gosh, you know, Kristen, I guess my South Georgia just came out because we did call it Dormacedon in my day, uh, but now it's Dorm Dorm. How do you say that? Well, I say Dormosedan, but <laughs> oh, I love it. You sound so much more intelligent when you say it that way. You know, hey, bring me the Dormacedon over here. Yes. But, um, yeah, anyway, but it's so, a great it's a great product. So just let's rewind the tape. Uh, yes. How did you know you wanted to be a veterinarian? 
Oh, wow. So uh, it turns out that my father is a veterinarian in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I'm actually, yeah, North Carolina born and raised. <laughs> and that's um, rare. That is. <laughs> and I pretty much w grew up in a veterinary clinic. So he's an emergency veterinarian. I spent many nights as a baby in his veterinary hospital and just grew up loving animals, as most of our veterinary students today and even you know recent graduates. It's sort of the typical story. I've loved animals all my life and thought you know I, I wanted to be a vet ever since day one. And uh, luckily, I was able to make that happen. Yeah, and then you, you chose to stay in our great state of North Carolina. You went to NCSU. Uh, you graduated in 2002. What made you want to go and finish up? I mean, you did everything, vet school, residency, and now you're teaching. I mean, what was it that really you fell in love with? Okay, so that is another excellent question. I graduated from uh, my undergraduate degree in animal science in 2002, and I went straight into vet school and graduated here in 2006. So I actually went to a different college for my freshman year, and it was out of state, uh, up north, and I realized that North Carolina is really home. As you know, it's a great place to live and work, and you know it's a wonderful place to be. So I ended up back at NCSU, and the university here has just become my home. It's such a welcoming environment and I feel like I'm surrounded by my Wolfpack family and they're really supportive in everything that I would like to do personally and professionally. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and we're glad you're here for sure. So now you graduate uh, in 2006 and what drew you to pharmacology and anesthesiology? So another wonderful question. It turns out I had a fantastic mentor, professor, teacher, friend that um, guided me on this path. So when I was a veterinary student, as you mentioned, it was the hardest time of my life. Veterinary school is so challenging. It's so difficult. It's just really hard to balance your life and school and really find yourself in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so in our fourth year rotations, uh, at our school, we start our student clinical rotations in the fourth year. Uh, I actually had anesthesia first. And the um, professor that was on duty with me uh, is a guy named Cliff Swanson. Sure. And so he's now retired, but he really took me under his wing and was so supportive and encouraging and really praised my abilities on the rotation and kind of put this bug in my ear that said, you know, you should think about doing anesthesiology for a living. So <laughs> I thought I thought he was talking to the person behind me, <laughs> but it turns out he wasn't. And uh, so, you know, I didn't have any real plans. And so I thought I might follow this and just see where it lead, where it led. Uh, and funnily enough, it brought me back to NC State for a residency. So I ended up doing an internship in Louisville, Kentucky, under the guidance of another really amazing anesthesiologist named Tom Day. Uh, so Tom trained me, and then, like I said, I was lucky enough to come back here for a residency that was fantastic, where I had even more amazing mentors and um, decided that the academic life was something that I thought I would really be interested in pursuing. And I felt like in order to do that, I needed to go ahead and pursue some graduate training and research. Because as you know, 
that's an important component of our job in the university. Absolutely. And so I want to just kind of back up a little bit here because you mentioned your father was a veterinarian or is or was a, a veterinarian in Charlotte. He is still is. actually practicing. It, and is he small animal or large animal? Because it sounds like you kind of took a little bit of the large animal path. And, and was that tied into the anesthesia? Because to me, there's nothing scarier um, <laughs> when we're talking about <laughs> anesthesia and large animals. And so were you really just following your dad's footsteps here? Were you creating your own path? And and when when you were asked about anesthesiology for a career, I mean, was that something that was already igniting a passion? Kind of what happened in that moment that that led you that way? Well, Becky, my so my father is a small animal emergency veterinarian, and I worked with him as well as in other emergency hospitals my whole life in doing small animal. But as most I guess, young ladies and girls fall in love with horses at a very young age. And so I've had horses uh, almost all of my life. So I do have a bit of a passion for large animals as well, although I was always in the pursuit of, you know, small animal practice. And to be honest, the specialty of anesthesia was really appealing because it is a lot like emergency medicine in that you can make decisions in the heat of the moment, you get instant gratification, there is a significant amount of understanding of physiology and pharmacology in the practice of anesthesiology as well as, you know, all sorts of veterinary medicine. But, um, you know, another part of the field that really appealed to me was that I was able or am able to work on all sorts of animals. So not just dogs, cats, and horses, but as you know, any species that really walks through the door is um, a species that we can help. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you mentioned that you grew up in a, in an emergency hospital watching your dad and, and, um, I can't believe that he was he he let you have horses. I'm picturing like an emergency veterinarian saying, "Yes, let's let's add horses to that mix." So, I'm kind of mind-boggled there. But then I'm kind of wondering a little bit, did you have any hesitation here? Like you saw what the real life looked like for a veterinarian. You knew that your dad was working probably all endless hours and the stress and the worries that go with it. You're seeing large animal veterinarians probably coming out to your farm at all hours. Was there any hesitation for you going into this um at this point were you thinking or were you just like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm all in and I'm not worried about the hours and the burnout? Or how did you feel coming into it with that? Okay, so this is, I think, a really important topic. And, you know, I'll give you my perspective now. But what I can tell you is that when I graduated veterinary school and went into an internship and residency, the things that I think about now had not crossed my mind in terms of balancing work and life and perhaps working too much and as you know, you commented on burnout, for example. So um, when I was younger, I certainly just put all my efforts into learning as much as I could about the specialty and I mean, I focused on small animal all through veterinary school, so then I felt like I really needed to catch up with the large animal medicine side of things and, you know, just really put a lot of effort into there. But now, looking back, uh, I do think that we need to focus a bit more on the work-life balance and make sure that we're teaching our students now and even my mentees uh, that I train in the clinics um, that 
you know, we do need to make time for ourselves outside of work just in order to, you know, protect our health and well-being. And I'm really glad to hear you say that, Kristen, because this is something that obviously the entire profession is awake to. And yet still so many people that have the authority and the ability to make these changes, you know, we seem to be slow on the uptake, you know, I mean, I know when I lecture across the country at vet schools, you know, this is the common theme, you know, young, outstanding professors such as yourself, we're going, hey, we've got to do more, we've got to teach them more soft skills, communication, finances, you know, how to how to take care of themselves. And yet then I run into a dean who's like, yeah, that sounds great. But you know, we don't really know how to quantify it. We don't know what the KPI looks like around that. You know, how do we pay for that? Right? I mean, it's a struggle. It is. Um, and I, you know, I think we do have to lead by example. And sometimes I wonder if I'm the best uh, leader in that respect, because, you know, I still do sometimes find myself in the lab late at night or early in the morning as you probably, both of you, find yourselves doing things in odd hours of the day. Right. But that's, and that's important because A, that's authentic because this is reality. Right. You know, and as I always say, look, it's, it's an 80-20 game. Like if you can get this right 80% of the time, balanced, healthy, you know, living the life you want to live, then that's pretty good. But 20% of the time, yeah, you're all-nighters, you're doing stuff that you wish you weren't. That's just part of it. But where I, what I appreciate about you, and I think why you got the SAVMA Teacher Award this year is because you're having those conversations. You're being genuine and authentic with your students. And, and that's really what I want to talk about is like, how do you do that? I mean, I, obviously knowing the failings and none of us are perfect, but like, how do you, in the face of sometimes challenges in academia, how do you maintain that enthusiasm and positivity saying, this is important for me to share? Well, I think that um, I, I don't have a good answer for you. So I think it's just part of maybe how I was trained by my own mentors. So as you know, I've mentioned several already, but you mentioned Mark Papich, who yeah. is one of the greatest teachers and mentors and pharmacologists of all time, in my opinion. Just a great person. Yeah. A great person. And, uh, you know, I've just been here, I'm surrounded by people who share the same excitement and enthusiasm for education, for veterinary medicine. It's, I'm so lucky because we're sitting in a, I'm sitting in a building doing exactly what I love, surrounded by people doing exactly what they love. And also I have this amazing job of teaching the next generation of veterinarians who are so excited to get out there and practice veterinary medicine. I think you make such an important point um, for a couple of things that I kind of want to revisit. Number one, what I've noticed, and I've had more than one veterinarian say to me, is there's this like weird gap of like this revolving door. You go into vet school excited and enthusiastic and you come out with several <laughs> years of shame under your belt. You know, you feel insecure. You're you're in debt. You're Destroyed. You become this sort of like angry person who kind of carries that into practice, who then is in turn, shaming their staff and, and doesn't know how to communicate in a respectful way. And what I'm, I'm really attracted to that you're saying is that you are maintaining this level of excitement and you are allowing your students to maintain this excitement. And I, if I get to speculate and say why you would be the perfect person to win this award is for that reason right there. Please take these students who come in excited and keep them excited so that they come out excited and enthusiastic and loving and caring and kind to their staff because you're teaching that and creating a safe environment to do that. 
I know that there is a lot of old school veterinarians out there who are, you know, um, you know, I kid, but you know, you hear all the time. I, I delivered my baby in a barn with a broken femur, you know, while <laughs> suturing myself up at night. And I'm like, these are not badges of honor. This is not the way we should be doing it. And when people like you step up to the plate and talk to the other generation about this, you maintain that enthusiasm. And I really think it's essential. And, and I'm grateful that you do it. And I think it's important. Well, that's a really thank you, Becky. And um, you just made so many good points and bring up a lot of, I think, really important issues that we are all facing. I mean, it's not this is not news to anyone out there. And we all have been through and, you know, I through this and Dr. Ward was laughing when you mentioned about how we come out of vet school kind of beat down. (laughs) And uh, yes, I was there, too. It, It was a really rough time. And, you know, luckily, I think I was able to find the path that worked for me. And so when I work with my students, you know, we have such a diverse group of students now on all sorts of levels. And trying to what I want to do and what I aim to do is find a way to teach to all all levels, all backgrounds and help them to really find what they're passionate about and how can they be successful as they go down this career path because veterinary medicine certainly is changing as a career and it's becoming very diverse. And That's great. Yep. And, and that, that kind of now I want to segue into this. Anytime I have someone in academia in front of me, I do start to ask about student debt and tuition inflation. And I'd like to get your take on it. Like, what do your students say about student debt, the pressures of paying for a professional education? And I mean, is that something that you think we should be doing a better job addressing? So, yes, this is an, one of the most important issues I think that we all face. And I mean, I certainly have a significant amount of student debt myself that I feel like I'll never pay off. And I remember when I was a student, I remember my pre- my professors commenting on this topic as well. Um, so it's something that all of our students, most of our students are certainly facing. And it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Um, so at North Carolina State, Uh, Our students, I think, are very fortunate in that we have an amazing foundation that helps to um, raise money for different scholarships that our students can apply for to help with some of the costs of going to veterinary school. I do speak with my students about their career choices, what their futures look like, and we talk about some of the financial advantages or disadvantages to pursuing extra schooling, for example, internships, residencies, graduate school. So all of those additional training opportunities do come at a price, as you know, some of us yeah. know, like me. <laughs> um, but we, we talk about all of this you know, on an adult level. And you know, I talk to uh, students that are in high school or even undergraduate, and we have a conversation about the costs associated with veterinary school what the profession looks like coming out of veterinary school, you know, the average salary for an equine veterinarian versus a small animal veterinarian, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a conversation that we talk about, and certainly it's a problem that I think that our administration is working so hard to try to make veterinary school affordable for every single student. Yeah, and I think it's really important to point out to listeners that, you know, while people like Dr. Messenger and 
deans all across the country are committed to solving this problem. It's actually above them where the real decisions are made. So, you know, we can all continue to make a lot of noise and continue to offer solutions because eventually we will make some change because we're reaching reaching a, a tipping point here. I mean, we've talked about this multiple times on the podcast. I mean, we just, this can't sustain right now the second largest debt in the United States is student debt. That's second only to home mortgages. So this is now reaching this inflection point of, of no return if we're not careful. But let's let's now switch into slightly different gear because obviously I wish we could solve that. We can't. But we can talk about the new societal pressures that veterinarians face. I mean, when I graduated over 30 years ago, there was no social media. I mean, the, heck, the internet really wasn't like it is at all. Today, we only had academic types of internet uh, services. Today, you can be uh, given a one-star review for basically being late for an appointment. Is that being talked about amongst students, the social pressures of being a veterinarian? So this is a topic that I actually haven't addressed with my students, although I'm quite aware of it because many of my classmates have practices you know, around the country, and so we get together still and talk about some of these issues surrounding social media and Yelp reviews or some of the other um, websites where people will go in and comment and, as you said, leave a one star for some reason that people just don't understand what it is like to be a veterinarian. And right. that is where I think we really need to help teach our graduates and you know, even our colleagues around us and just the general public about uh, what we do and how we do it. And again, the pressures that all veterinarians face, even if they have zero student debt, we still face quite a bit of pressures from society um, in order you know, to take care of animals. And as you know, that's not a free, that's something that we can't do for free. So um, it's, it's really challenging. And this is not something that I've focused on previously, but I do think that it's a really important issue that we should continue to talk about as a profession. I think it's it's such a, a deep topic and a lot to unpack. And, you know, it, it affects everyone in the hospital on various levels. And I think that you're exactly right. It's 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 important and it's changing. It's a hard thing to tackle with your students. And, you know, you already are teaching pharmacology. You've got a lot to tackle as it is. Um, it, it's hard to have those conversations and make those connections. Um, but it, it it's, it's, it's essential that someone does. And, and I'm grateful that you do. Uh, how could I understand that you've been so much in the university setting, but how do you help or how do you recommend how do we carry this over in general practice and, and into our day to day? How do we teach with kindness, lead with kindness um, and, and help our, our fellow people the way you seem to be helping your students? Because I think it makes a huge impact. Uh, well, Becky, I think that it has to do with the environment and the leadership, perhaps. And so oh, yes. it, from what I'm hearing, you know, on, on your side is that you probably also are in a really great environment. And it sounds to me like you are also a fantastic leader for your um, support staff, you know, the your colleagues surrounding you. And I think that, you know, even in a small practice, it is a family. You know, we all are here for each other. We're all going through many of the same hurdles. So, you know, I, going back to veterinary school, I mean, I sat in the seats that my students are sitting in. I know exactly what it feels like to be in their shoes. In a veterinary practice, we've all been clients, I'm sure. You know, we've all had pets and animals and 
found wildlife. And so just being able to try to reflect a bit, spend some time thinking about what, what if I was in this person's shoes, what would I be thinking realistically? And, you know, how can I be patient and kind and calm to, you know, help them understand this situation and understand the side that I'm coming from, whereas I'm trying to understand the side that they're coming from. And then just allowing that to spill over to those around you that you're working with every day. Yeah. And, you know, Kristen, what I'm also hearing is a generational shift. I mean, you and I, uh, I think I'm maybe 10 years or so older than you. We, um, we were taught primarily by baby boomers or older. And so they, there was this trial by fire, you know, by golly, it was hard for me and I'm going to make it harder on you. So you'll be tough as nails when you graduate. And, and, you know, that just didn't work. I mean, for a lot of us, that just didn't work. We got pissed off and ticked off and, you know, have some resentment. I still have, you know, resentment uh, to this day. In fact, most of the time when I get together with my other classmates, we instantly go into this thing I don't like, which is this negative recall process. And you're kind of like, you remember when that happened? You're like, oh, I hate that. We got to focus on the positive. But anyway, that was my therapy yeah, session sure. for the mo morning. But my, my point is, I'm so glad to hear this shift occurring because you now are looking at your students with a very different perspective and lens, and you're treating them with empathy. And you're, I think you're really making a difference. I'm, I'm so, so happy for you. Well, I, I have no idea, but thank you. And again, it's not just me. So I am not I am definitely not the only person doing this, as you probably know. I, I, you know, I've heard some of your podcasts before, and your guests are always so fantastic. And the issues that you all talk about, it, I think that this is fairly common now. And I know certainly where I am, the people that I work with and the educators that surround me and are supportive of, you know, even my myself and my teaching. Are, all have the same outlook and the same philosophy. So I think that we certainly do have a paradigm shift, as you mentioned. I mean, things were different when we were in veterinary school, and it is time for a change, and I'm glad to see that it's happening. Go Gen X. We're rocking. All right. <laughs> well, now, as, as we sort of wrap down, there are two things I want to talk about, because Becky wants to talk about vet techs in just a second, but I want to get in one quick thing, and that is the, the entire shift towards feminization, right? So now your classrooms look very different than certainly when I was in school and perhaps even when you were in school. And I'd like to get your thoughts on, on how can we strike a, a balance? You know, what are your thoughts towards how do we encourage, you know, all people, diverse genders and ethnicities to join our profession? Because I think that's also one of our challenges. Ooh, I don't know if we can cover this topic in the, <laughs> in the time that we have left. But I, so you're right, um, the, the classroom has changed quite a bit, although I think that we're still, right now, when I graduated, we were a majority uh, female class, and that is still the case, but um, for you know, veterinary admissions, we are aiming to create a more diverse group of veterinarians because right. the profession is changing and in order to you know affect change i think it starts with who we're training and graduating and so the um the different backgrounds you know different um second careers even many people are coming into veterinary school as a second career and all of these you know, fantastic human beings are graduating and going out and doing really creative things in veterinary medicine. I mean, look at like yourself, for example, some of the things that you've done are just fantastic for the profession. So 
Yeah, but somehow I'm failing to reach this next generation of male future veterinarians <laughs> because, you know, and I think there are a lot of uh, societal pressures that we could, you know, like you said, go far beyond the time we have left. But it is something that, you know, what I, what again, what I'm going to continue to thank and praise you for, Kristen, is the fact that you are considering this, you're giving thought to it, you're talking with colleagues about it, because change doesn't doesn't begin without a conversation. And this is why, you know, we think things like podcasts are so important. Like honestly, Becky and I, our entire goal and purpose of this podcast is so that people that are listening to it, share it with someone else in real life. You know, that's really the goal to catalyze these, these types of things. So your ideations about what the future should be like are really important. And I, I want to thank you, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say, Hey, we do need a more diverse student population because that's reflective of our changing culture. So Becky, get something in about vet techs. It's exactly right. No, you know, and to, to your point though, it's a change in culture in so many ways. Dr. Messenger, you have a lot of things to say that are different that maybe ruffle feathers on people who have been around longer than you that don't want you to say those things because they've been working really hard um, to to have a different message because they believe differently. And it's really important to stand up and to say, I believe differently and I'm okay with that. And I'm going to spread that message and, and make it a safe place for your students to feel like that. And I, I think it's really significant. And that does trickle down to veterinary technicians when your veterinarians get out into practice. And, and that's what I know from working with new grads and that the effect that you have is so essential because you are teaching them how to teach those around them who are in what they will consider, you know, what they'll consider a subordinate type role in a lot of cases. What do you do specifically um, in your interactions with your technicians? What do you talk to your students about with technicians? Give give my people a little shout out about how, because I know how things go at NC State. I hear the graduates praise uh, their technicians for being such a big part of their education. How do you work with them? Oh, Becky, I mean, God bless the veterinary technicians. They are, <laughs> right. they are truly the heroes behind the scenes that really make us look good every day. And we, um, there is, there aren't enough things I could say about how important veterinary technicians are in this profession and how much I appreciate every single thing that you do, that my veterinary technicians that I work with in anesthesia do, the technicians who help me in the laboratory, the ones who take care of my own pets. I mean, really, there aren't there isn't enough praise, and you know, sometimes I know that it goes unrecognized, and I think that all we can do is continue to um, talk about how important the role of the veterinary nurse or technician, however you want to. I, I like the veterinary nurse personally, but um, you know how important the this whole again, it's a it all comes down to a family, right? Right. And we really do all need each other on different levels. And I know I could never do my job without my veterinary nurses. Well, I can tell you our profession is better because of you and your efforts. Congratulations again to Dr. Kristen Messenger, the student American Veterinary Medical Association winner of Outstanding Teacher Award for 2019. She is a remarkable force of nature. Uh, this is just a brief glimpse into her awesomeness. If you want to find out more, you can Google her. She's got a couple of things going on. Well, they can't get to passing gas, can they? How do, how do we get that out there? Oh, Dr. Ward, we are working on this. So we have a pot. My, my colleague, uh, Kate Bailey, and I have a podcast uh, of our own called P Passing Gas, and I would love to have you both on sometime as a guest. 
Um, so we are working on getting it out in public and we're gonna do the best we can. I'll be sure to let you know once that happens. It is because again, you cover two topics that are sorely undercovered and that is pharmacology and anesthesiology. And I would say they are foundational for our profession. And you know, this is this goes back to why I did the whole long-term medications monitoring chart, Kristen, because pharmacology is near and dear to my heart. But more importantly, you are near and dear to so many people. Thank you for all you're doing for the profession. The students that have you are truly, truly fortunate. And I hope you all will thank Dr. Kristen Messenger today, not only for her efforts in the classroom, but in the profession. Um, thank you, Dr. Ward and Becky, so much for inviting me and taking the time to talk with me today. It's really been a wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Thank you. Thanks so much for what you're doing. I, I sincerely mean that because you're creating a generation that is going to come out and do things differently. And I think veterinary medicine needs a, <laughs> a good <laughs> facelift with a little little filler injections and maybe some Botox. And you're helping that happen, you know, with this new generation. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Let us know what you loved, what resonated with you from this podcast. Give a shout out to Dr. Messenger to tell her congratulations for working with students in a new way and to winning this award. Because honestly, I think it's it's an amazing accomplishment. We want to hear what you have to say. You can find us on social media, on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Instagram and Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. Until next time. Bye. 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 Nice. Yay. Oh, All right. you guys are the best. That was awesome. Here?